0: Good morning. morning. Hope everyone is doing well. It looks like uh, winter is actually going to show up this week. So uh, we're all excited about that. And um, we're just slowly making our way through the staff uh, to preach as Craig is gone. So thankfully, he's not gone three weeks in a row or else you would get uh, Will next week. So um, I'm just kidding. How about Will doing the solo this morning with the choir? How about that? We don't ever. I was back there with Ted, I was like, Will never sing solo. So uh, it's always good to hear that, good treat uh, for that, but always, uh, as Will does every single time, uh, lifts up uh, the name of God every time he leads us in worship, uh, which is why we keep Uh, Showing up. So it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Uh, Since y'all enjoyed one of the stories of my childhood last time uh, that I spoke, I thought I would share another one uh, because uh, I was a peculiar child, uh, and I have, (laughs) just like I'm a peculiar adult. Um, But as a child, I had a nasty habit of sleepwalking. Uh, And in this one particular time, uh, I don't really remember any of the other times, but this time I remember it like it was yesterday. And I even remember the dream that I had that got me to the place where I ended up in my sleepwalking, uh, because the dream had scared me so bad. I was probably uh, between five and seven, so I was kind of right in I was, uh which would be six, uh, right in between. <laughs> Duh. Math, math was not my strength in school. Um, but anyway... So I was right in between uh, the ages of my two girls, uh, uh, Kaylee and Catherine. And, um, and so, uh, but I remember my dream that I was being chased. Uh, for whatever reason, let's not, you know, we're not going to go Freud and, and figure out why I was being chased or why these big men were chasing me. But uh, I was being chased by these big men, and eventually they caught up to me and caught me. And so in between that time when you when you physically do wake up but you think you're still dreaming i think that i am being i've been captured by these men i've been placed like in a holding cell or whatever and i feel almost like i'm sitting back in like a hole and i just remember, i mean I remember like it was yesterday this this gripping fear of this big man standing in the doorway and i cannot get past him i have no idea i'm like going you know, it, do I need to cause a distraction? Do I need to get out of it? I mean, this guy is huge. And then all of a sudden I think. I don't know what made me think this, but I decide to touch this big, to touch this big man in the back. I don't know what made me do it. I don't know why I did. I don't know if I was starting to come out of that, that stupor of sleep. And my hand goes, there's nothing to this man. And so then all of a sudden I wake up and I go, what? It was one of my dad's sport coats <laughs> that he had put on the hanger and he had hung on the back of his door and it was so positioned that it, was, that it looked like this big giant man standing in this doorway. I had walked out of my bed, all this while I was sleeping, I'd walked out of my bed, walked down the hallway walked in my parents' room, walked into their closet, and sat down in their uh, laundry basket. (laughs) How crazy is that? Once I realized this big, scary guy was not a big, scary guy at all. It was a sport coat uh, that my dad had hung up from previously in the day. I went back to my room, and I went back to bed. like, Like, nothing had ever happened. I never went back to the dream or anything. It was weird. Can you imagine if that had been real? What if that had been an angel of God standing in the doorway of my parents? What if that had been a talking donkey? What? Did you say talking donkey? Yes, I did. And so today, uh, we are looking at one of the strangest stories you will read uh, in the Bible. Uh, it is one of, it's, it's interesting it's comical, uh, and it's, this, it's the story of Balaam. Uh, and so if you want to open to Numbers 22, we're going to read that in just a second. But it's the story of Balaam. It's the story about his greediness and how God used a talking donkey to get him back on track, even if him being back on track was only temporary. So uh, turn in Numbers 22, and we're going to start in verse 21. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road which, with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn, to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards, with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot uh, against the wall, so he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a, I wish I had a sword in my hand, for I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life, all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? He said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you. Because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me uh, these three times. If, if she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. Uh, Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to uh, spend these next few minutes uh, diving into your uh, holy word. Even if it's a holy word that speaks about a talking donkey. uh, Lord, we know that you can teach us from this. We know that everything in your scripture is there for a reason. And so, Lord, open our hearts today to hear what you have to say. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before we get to this main part, before we get to the actual where Balaam begins his journey, we need to look at the context of how we got here. Uh, So let me set this context for you prior, prior to this, because what is going on is that the Israelites have been in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, They've just been wandering around, and now it's time for them to take possession of the promised land. Uh, It's this land that God had given to them, had promised them. It was land flowing with milk and honey, and it was time for them to take possession of this. And so, um, and up until now, it wasn't real fun for the people of Israel. They've just been wandering around in circles. And God has provided for their needs, and, and God has given them what they have Uh, what they have needed with food and and water and guidance and everything, but it's it's time to go home. It's time for them to take possession of their land. So they have begun the conquest to get uh, to the promised land. And so in chapter 21, uh, we begin to see those conquests, uh, and they have gone through uh, King Sihon and King Og and the rest of the Amorites, and they're just taking them down. They're slowly going through uh, these people, and King and Balak has seen all of this. He, is, he has observed all of this. He has watched them make all of these conquests as they have gone through the land. And, uh, and he's losing his confidence. He's like, these are people that once defeated me, and now the Israelites are just plowing through them. They're going straight through these. And so Balak, king of Moab, seeing all of this and is terrified. He's seeing the momentum shift of the people of Israel. It's kind of like if you watched the Super Bowl a couple of years ago with the Atlanta Falcons. He was sitting on this big giant lead and had no reason to worry. And then all of a sudden the momentum changed. And here come the Israelites. They just start marching across the land... Just taking out people left and right. And all of a sudden, they are camped out right at his front door. And he is absolutely terrified. He has thought, I've got to do something different here. I've got to change what I'm doing. There's got, they, they seem to have something supernatural on their side. I think it's time that I try to get something supernatural on my side. He needs these people to be cursed because obviously there is something that's different about these people that he has never seen before. So in comes Balaam. Balaam is world famous at this point. Balaam is not a holy man, he is not a holy prophet, he is not one of God's prophets. He's a soothsayer, he's a seer. He's an overall seedy kind of character that will give his services of animal divination and curses to the highest bidder. Whoever will pay him, he will do whatever they ask him to do. And he is quite good at it. In fact, he is so good that Balak is willing to go over 350 miles and pay him whatever he wants to have him come curse the people of God. But desperate times call... For desperate measures. These guys spend the night. Uh, Balaam uh, gives them some food. They spend the night. He goes before God. God says, no, you can't go with these guys. These guys want you to curse the people of Israel. And I'm here to bless the people of Israel. And so the next morning he wakes up. He tells these men, hey, he says, hey look, I can't go. God tells me that, they, that he does not want me to go with you. And so that's what I'm going to do. And so he sends them on their way. Well, the guys go back to Balak. And they don't say anything about God saying no. They just said, hey, Balaam wouldn't come with us. As I said, desperate times call for desperate measures. And so what does Balak do? He gets an even bigger group, an even higher-powered group, and even more money to throw at this problem. And so he sends a bigger delegation down to Balaam. And once again, Balaam does, starting off, what he's supposed to do. He said, you've come a long way. Why don't y'all spend the night, let me go back to God and ask him what he would like me to do. And Balaam even puts more emphasis on this whole thing. He's like, look, even if Balak were to give me all his silver and gold, I could not go against the command of God. But, and there's always a lot behind that but, Balaam tells him, look, just hang out here. Let me go see if God has anything else to say on the matter. Knowing full well that God was pretty emphatic when he's talking to him the first time, he's like, I do not want you to go with them. These are a ble- this is a blessed people, and they want you to curse these people. But Balaam's greed was taking over. He knew the payday that awaited him, and God could see straight through his heart. And this is where the story changes. As we're slowly getting up to, to what I read a minute ago. God gives Balaam exactly what he wants, but with conditions. He says, okay, you can go with these guys, but you will do exactly what I say and do exactly what I tell you to do. God heard his prayers, and God knows his heart. But he told him he could go anyway. And and I'm not saying that God can be worn down, but it's kind of like when you were little and if you kept asking your mom enough times, eventually she would say, oh, just go. My brother often accuses me that that tactic never worked for me because, you know, the difference between me and my brother is I would always go, okay, and I would go out the door and I would was gone. My brother would go, no, I'll, I'll stay here and clean the garage or cut the grass or whatever. But it's kind of like when we test God. Well, if this happens, and if this happens, then God wants me to go. If this particular thing falls in place, and this particular, then God wants me to do that. Even though God has told you no times before. But we see in Romans, and we see other places in the Bible, that God will give you the desires of your heart, if that's really what you want. But you have to make that choice. You have to make the decision to follow your own desires or to follow God's. And really, that's what discipleship comes down to. It's about growing deeper in your faith with God so that you can make His desires your desires and how your hearts team up together. God tells Balaam he can go with the men from Moab. But he must say exactly what he wants him to say and do exactly what he wants them to do. No more and no less. So now that we're all caught up, I can just picture this scene that that we started reading in in, uh, verse 21. I mean, Balaam has got to be almost giddy at this point. He knows a big payday is coming, and all he has to do is get there and do what this king tells him to do. He can hardly wait to begin his journey. The sooner he gets to Moab, the sooner he gets paid. And God sees this. God sees his heart. And that's when we have verse 22 where it says, But God's anger was kindled because he went. Now, that little phrase has confused people for ages. If God just told him why, that he could go, why is he all of a sudden angered just a verse later? It's because God saw his heart. As you read commentaries, and this is under my own opinion, Danielle and I were talking about this just the other day, is God saw straight through Balaam's motives. You saw straight through Balaam's heart. He knew that Balaam was not going to do what he asked him to do. Unless he intervened. Unless he did something that would change Balaam's heart. This is where our story gets interesting. Balaam packs up his things, puts the saddle on his donkey, and starts his journey just like he's done thousands of times. He's off to do what he's been paid to do. Although this time there was something different. This time, as they begin their journey, his donkey all of a sudden decides he doesn't want to go down that road anymore. Because we also see in verse 22, God sent an adversary. God sent someone to oppose the journey that Balaam was on. The donkey saw it, but Balaam and his two servants did not see it. Just picture this. Balaam is all excited and he's ready to go. He's ready to get down the road and get his money. But his donkey has other thoughts. There's an angel of the Lord standing in front of him, and he has no earthly idea. And his donkey can see it clear as day, and he cannot. Now, can we just stop for a moment and appreciate the sense of humor of God here? We have this man who is world famous. for being able to understand what the gods are saying and to be able to divine spirits and know what's going on in the the spiritual world. And he's on top of this dumb animal who's there just to uh, do work, to give rides, to plow fields, to do whatever's been tasked before him. And he can see plainly. He can see clearly the opposition that is ahead of him. Obviously, this is as they begin their journey, the the, the donkey goes and immediately turns and tries to go into the fields. And Balaam's like, what are you, what, what is going on? So he beats him, beats her, try to get her back on the back on the road so that he can go on his journey. Takes them off onto a path and they start going down the path, and all of a sudden there's two walls there and the angel is back in front of them. So the donkey, still seeing the angel and the man, diviner of spirits, cannot, tries to get over to the side and go around the angel. Donkey's probably thinking, hey, I got beat the first time because I went a different way, so this time I'll try to go around. Ends up crushing the foot. Of Balaam. So now he's really fired up. It's like, now my foot hurts. And my donkey's not doing it. So he beats the donkey even harder this time. So our donkey friend continues on in their journey. And the angel is back in front of them. And now there's nowhere to go. Donkey can't go to the right, can't go to the left, can't go off the path. Donkey's thinking, hey, the last two times I did this, I got beat. So I'll just lay down. Donkey proceeds to lay down. So now Balaam is really hot. I mean, he's really fired up at this point. he gets off the donkey, he just starts beating her. Why why are you doing this to me? Why? And so as if the story is not strange enough, verse 28 brings it on a whole nother level. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? What? God opens up the mouth of the, of the donkey and says, Hey, hey, Balaam, hey, hey, what are you doing? Why do you keep hitting me? Why have you struck me three times? And then, even a stranger event, Balaam talks back. It's like, you know, to, to the donkey, that the, the angel's been right there the whole time. Balaam's like, look, you made me look like an idiot out here. If I had a sword, I would kill you right now. I'd just take care of things. And then, the, and then the donkey here again says, hey, man, how long have we known each other? In all our times of knowing each other, have I ever done this to you? Haven't I always done what you said? Balaam says, no, guess not. But before the story can go any further, God intervenes and opens the eyes of Balaam. It's almost like God said, okay, okay, that's enough. That's enough. Balaam, here's here's why the donkey keeps stopping. Here's why the donkey keeps trying to pick a different way to go. Now, you think a talking donkey is cool? Look at this. And his eyes are opened. And then he sees the majesty of this angel standing in front of him with a, with a sword drawn. And it's at this point Balaam understands the gravity of the situation immediately. He falls on his face before the angel. And in verse 32 the angel begins to tell Balaam what's been going on. He's like, look. And that, why why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I've come out to oppose you because your way is perverse. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me just now, I would have killed you and let her live. The angel's saying, hey, look, Balaam. Quit beating the donkey, because the donkey just saved your life three times. Give it a break. Because if the donkey hadn't stopped you, I would have killed you. And then Balaam comes before the angel and says, I have sinned. For I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. He's like, look, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were there. Don't we do this with sin a lot? I didn't didn't know that was wrong. I I was trying to help. I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do. But Balaam's admission of sin is the key part of that whole thing. I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. God just needed to get Balaam's attention. He needed Balaam to know that his message was the only one that was to be communicated. Even though Balak was going to use Balaam for evil purposes, God was going to use him for good. God was going to use him to bless and not curse the people of Israel because that was his plan and his will for his people. So what does all this mean for you? How can we take the story that Moses wrote down thousands of years ago and apply it to our lives? Now, you may be sitting there in your chair and going, that is either the longest introduction I've ever heard or I fell asleep and missed the, all the points that you gave. I haven't given the points yet. <laughs> that line is a little different this time. Uh, the outline are, are some action steps. It's more of the application of where we're going, of what God can teach us out of this story. As we start 2020, I believe there are some truths found in this account uh, that can help us in the coming year avoid some roadblocks that may deter us from our journey uh, this year. And just to be real honest with you, uh, I should have had four points, uh, but the Baptist preacher in me wouldn't let me have more than three points. Uh, So, (laughs) there's there's three points in your bulletin, but I want you to add a one point, and then we'll have kind of a one A point. So, if you do if you do the notes, uh, make make this your first. Um, but your first point should be, is that God is the hero of this story first and foremost. It's not the donkey, because the donkey avoided the angel and and saved his master. It's not Balaam, because Balaam had a change of heart. It's not the angel, even though the angel was sent from God. God is the hero of the story. It is God who is speaking. It is God who sends the angel. It is God who changes the heart of Balaam. If we could go into 2020 realizing that God is always the hero of the story, we're already ahead of anything that may come our way that God is the hero, God is the rescuer, God is the one that comes and saves the day. Once we know that, these next three points fall right into place. So, if God is hero is the first point, then the next point is the first runner-up. So, and you know, of course, the first runner-up can always take over the main point if the main point can't fulfill all their duties. Uh, but... The, uh, but the first runner-up, uh, if we are to avoid roadblocks and say dis- <laughs> that eventually got to you, kind of hit the back wall and then came forward. Um, <laughs> but if we're going to avoid roadblocks and distractions in the coming year, we must align your will with God's will, not the other way around. If we look back at our story, Balaam had his answer the first time he went to God. God was clear. God was direct. God said, I don't want you to go with these men. They are intent on cursing the people of Israel, and these people are blessed. Aren't we like that? Don't we get ourselves into a little bit of trouble when we we do the same thing? And God, I, I know you told me no the first time, but I'm not sure if you really understood all that surrounded the situation. Now, let me give you all the details, and then maybe... Maybe you'll understand this time. Oh, no? Maybe that's just me that goes into that. But if we look back at our lives, if we look back at tough decisions and and things that we've gone back to God about, about things that He said no, how much heartache or trouble we would have saved ourselves if we would have just went with God's first response and stuck with that? And this leads us to our second point. God's message will always prevail. God was behind his people. There was nothing that was going to stop his people from getting into the promised land. He was not going to be hindered by Balaam or anyone else. There was a land that he had set aside for the people of Israel, and it was time for them to take over the land. The generation, they had been out there 40 years, so the generation that had sinned against God and God said, you are not going to see the promised land, they are dying off, or they have died off. It is time for God's people to take over their land. Balak Balak and his Moabites were the next on the list, so God used Balaam to get his message across. God used Balaam to bless his people. And if you continue to read in the story of Balaam and Balak and their relationship and how it all goes, it gets, believe it or not, it gets even a little more, it gets even a little funnier. It gets a little more comical, if you can believe that at all. But Balaam finally meets up with Balak. Uh, and, then, and just, In fact, just after we quit reading, he meets up with Balak, and Balak says, all right, I'm ready for you, I'm ready for what, for what you're going to do, I'm ready for you to curse these people, and And Balaam's like, hey, look, I'm just going to do what God tells me to do. I'm going to say what God tells me to say, and that's it. He said, okay, okay, whatever. Uh, Just tell me what you want me to do. He said, all right, get seven altars, get seven bulls, get seven rams, uh, spread them out. He took them up to this hill, spread them out, sacrifice them, and I'm going to go up to the mountain, I'm going to talk to God, and I'll come back and I'll tell you what, I'll do what he says. And And Balaam's like, all right, sweet. Uh, my time is finally coming. We're going to get rid of these Israelites. We got it. So he does exactly what Balaam tells him to do. And they sacrifice the animals. Balaam goes up, comes back down, and Balaam says, All right, I've got the word from God. I'm going to go out. Uh, I'm going I'm to say what God told me to say. So he begins these oracles, uh, uh, four oracles that, that come after that. Uh, and he begins and he starts. And he goes into blessing the people of Israel. He goes into this long thing and and ends up blessing the people of Israel. And he comes back off of that, and Balak goes, What are you doing? I'm paying you to curse the people of God, to to curse the Israelites. And Balaam's like, I I, I told you, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. Balak goes, Okay, all right, all right. I've got another hill. I've got another place. I'm going to take you there and, and, and let, you, let you do your curse there. Balaam's like, well, I'm, I'm here, but I'm going to do what God tells me to do and say what God tells me to say. So Balak takes him to this next hill, and they do the exact same thing. Sacrifice the animals, build seven altars, goes up, talks to God, comes back down, and proceeds to bless the people of Israel again. And Balaam goes even crazy. He's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And Balaam's like, I told you. God, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. And he ends up doing it again and blessing the people. And then one of the oracles, he even prophesies about the Savior that comes out of the people of Israel. God's message will always prevail. We see this with Balaam. Even though Balaam's heart, at this point, is is where God wants it to be. God has turned his heart to do what He wants him to do. Balaam reigns true to what God has told him. And he tells Balak that. God wants to use you to tell his story. And bless the people around you with the words in these coming days. This story proves that God can use anyone. Even a greedy man that has bad intentions. We see in the New Testament when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem for the last time. Jesus said that even the rocks would cry out if the people did not. God's message will always prevail with or without you. Let's not wait for the rocks to cry out. Let's get God's message of love and grace out to the world. And then lastly, remember, God always knows your heart. God knew Balaam's heart throughout this process, throughout this story. And ultimately, God knew how Balaam's heart would play out in the end. He knew Balaam had evil intentions at the beginning and he knew Balaam would have evil intentions at the end. And even though God was able to turn his heart in the middle and to be able to bless the people of God, he eventually succumbed to his selfish desires. See, it didn't didn't end well for Balaam. In Numbers 31.8, we learn the fate of Balaam. He ended up dying by the sword, but not before he was instrumental in leading The Israelite men away from God and into Baal worship and sexual immorality. Death by the sword is the exact thing the angel wanted to do before this process even started. But the donkey intervened at the beginning of the story. And God intervened at the end. To make matters worse, anytime you read about Balaam after this, Old Testament and New Testament, he is referred to as selfish and greedy. In the book of 2 Peter, Peter even uses him as an illustration, as an example of what greed is. As we close, don't be like Balaam. Don't make God have to redirect you where He wants you to go unless you're already headed down a path that He doesn't want you to go down. Begin 2020 by setting your heart to God's heart because He knows it anyway. Why not let Him fully in to what He already knows so well? Which leads us to our sermon in a sentence today. As we set our sights on 2020, let us avoid roadblocks in our journey by growing deeper in our relationship with Jesus every day so that we, unlike Balaam, remember that God's will is always better than my will. His message will always prevail, and He knows our hearts more intimately than anyone else. Y'all pray with me. Father God, I do thank you for today. I thank you for this time that we could uh, dive into your Scripture and hear what you had to say. But as we begin this time of invitation, I pray that you search our hearts. Are we headed down a path that you, we know we shouldn't be headed down? Lord, then turn our hearts. And Lord, as we seek you uh, in this new year, I pray that you guide us and direct us. If there's someone out there that doesn't know you, That you open up their hearts to the hearing message today. Lord, be with us during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.